0: So you're a sales professional. How do you make sure that you are as connected as you can be to the goals of your customer? We're going to address that today on The Buyer's Mind.
1: Welcome to The Buyer's Mind, where we take a closer look deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism to reverse engineer the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore.
0: Welcome, everyone, once again to The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore. So glad to have you with us as we continue this dive into the way that our customers make purchase decisions, always believing that if you know your customer well enough, that, that sales path will begin to roll out right in front of you. And we're going to see that today in a very, very powerful way as we bring Christine Commaford onto the program. Uh, Christine is a behavioral expert, and she's really going to challenge your thinking in regards to uh, how we get on the same page, how we connect. Now, I don't think I have to tell you that that sense of connection with a customer is pretty darn important, right? That, that's just sort of a given. But how do we connect, and why is that connection so critical from the customer's perspective? So, as we listen to the interview, I want to encourage you to think back on the last several sales conversations that you have had. Ask yourself the question, how deeply connected were you with those customers? Because that connection that we have with them will cause us to be able to look and say, how can I solve the problem? How can I take them to that future desired state? As you listen to the interview with Christine Comerford, it'll be helpful for you to be thinking through actual sales conversations that you've recently had so that you can apply this into those conversations and move those forward in order to help solve their problem. Here we go. Let's take a listen. Well, I don't even know where to start with an introduction right now. This Just in my study here, this is one of the most interesting bios that you're ever going to see. Businesswoman, author, serial entrepreneur. She's founded and sold five companies. She's been a board member for more than 36 startups. She's the author of several bestsellers, including Rules for Renegades and and, uh, her infamous book, Smart Tribes, TEDx speaker, lectures at Harvard, Stanford, a host of other prestigious universities. She's a behavioral expert. And uh, she speaks all over the world at how we understand the brain. And when you think about it, really, who needs a high school diploma after all? Uh, Miss No Excuses Herself, Christine Comerford, welcome to The Buyer's Mind. Thank you, Jeff. It's awesome to be here. Uh, I'm tired just reading your bio. <laughs> are you just like you're the Energizer Bunny? Are, are you just easily bored? Are, are you just the type of person that just has to look at it and say, okay, what else does life have to offer?
2: i uh, easily bored. Yes. And also I just, I, I like to solve problems. You yeah. know, I think it's because I was an engineer, you know, back at Microsoft and, and Apple a million years ago. And so I like to look out there and say, Oh, there's a problem. Oh, I could solve that.
0: Love you it. know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's a great way. You know, sometimes I'll talk to young people and they'll, they'll I, 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 I mean, look, I I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm arrogant or anything, but people will say, how are you so successful? It's a question that I will get from young people, and I will always tell them the same thing. Go find a problem that needs to be solved, and the weight of the problem that needs to be solved will be a direct correlation to how successful you are once you get that solved. It sounds like I just sort of summed up your philosophy of life.
2: Ooh, let's put that in a formula. Problems plus pain equals profit.
0: Hmm, I like it. I like it. You just said
2: that. I just put it in a yeah. formula.
0: <laughs> Let it out. yeah but, but, no it's it's so listen if you're looking at it, you're saying okay well I'm going to flip burgers at a fast food place there's nothing wrong with that people need burgers there's a problem they're hungry they need a burger but let's face it uh it, it's it's not the world's most significant problem and therefore the profit is not going to be that great for when it comes to flipping a burger but if you're an yeah. entrepreneur and you come up with something that that really is unique that solves a significant problem yeah you deserve a, a healthy profit take us back to the start of the journey were you driven as as a child did you always have sort of an entrepreneurial lust
2: yes you know lemonade stands you know wanted to win the contest for girl scout cookie sales you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, just kind of wanting to give people what they need. And mm-hmm. um, and we should talk about that because yep. I find salespeople, that's one of our greatest challenges in the sales and marketing world is, is we're not using enough neuroscience to really get into that gushy, squishy, subterranean what the person's really asking you for. Because they're not yeah. asking you for a product or service. Nope. right or
0: not well we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about that for sure um I I perceive that you have a very rare combination of of uh two traits um achievement drive you you seem to me and you could tell me if I'm wrong in this but I think you just have to win you have to and then uh there's just a fearlessness there's a there's you're just a gutsy gutsy individual and when you put those those two things together it's a remedy for success did I characterize that right would would you say that those are two of your dominant traits?
2: Um, yes. And I would say though, that the achievement drive, it's not really competing with others so much as self. It's like, mm-hmm. I know I could do better on that. You know, what yeah. else, how else could I make a difference in the world? You know, yeah. a zillion years ago, you know, when the internet was first created by Al Gore, right. Uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> the first domain I registered, uh, was make a mm-hmm. Um, and then later one of my friends gave me Christine.com, which was sort of a cool present, but, um, wow. But yeah, you know, um, we still have that, but make a um, uh, I ended up selling it, but but what was kind of interesting was just like, that's what that's sort of what drives me. And it's whatever realm I'm currently playing in,
0: you know. But I love that sentiment. The, the dancer, Mikhail Baryshnikov, once said, I don't try to dance better than anyone else. I only try to dance better than myself. Mm. And that's uh, just a great way to be able to look at it. That's just uh, a a, a fantastic uh, uh, perspective. But talk a little bit about failure, because one of the things that I see consistently with uh, entrepreneurs, with successful people, is that we tend to highlight the success. We tend to look at what went right. But as always, the greatest lessons are to be found in times of adversity. So talk about your failures and how you've learned through your failures.
2: You know, I think... I think when I look at, I think the greatest failures have been um, twofold. One, not really paying attention to what the customer is truly asking for, and they're not asking it for, they're not asking for it with the words that they're using, which is Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that I think human behavior is so insanely great. Um, And then, second, it's not listening to my spidey sense. You know, we all have a little Spidey sense, a little Spider-Man sense, a a great intuition. And looking outside, I wrote a poem a while ago called Call Off the Search. You know, there's nothing outside that's going to magically make it better that's going to help you solve this problem. You know, Mm -hmm. if you burrow in and get right in there and get still and get quiet and get out in nature, you're going to figure the answers out.
0: Yeah, I I, I love that. It's in just about every... Um... F- deeply philosophical and certainly in every religious text you're going to there's there's that commonality of that sense of stillness of quiet yeah. of mind that is really hard to do in this day we just interviewed cal newport who wrote deep work and his new book digital minimalism uh, about the idea that our brains are so distracted they are so busy they are so always on the hunt for the next shiny object that we've lost that art of stillness but but here's the rub though for you you're so driven you're you you're, you're such a force to be reckoned with. Is it difficult to slow down? Is it difficult to be still?
2: You know, what I find Jeff is I was a Buddhist monk for seven years. Um, mm-hmm. so I did, of course kind you of,
0: were, yeah that, yeah, that fits right into your bio. Of course you were. <laughs> yeah.
2: I know it's kind of a long bio, but,
0: yeah. but, um,
2: but, uh, so I, I got like how important that is. So I start every day. If I didn't start every day, I would be hosed. I start mm-hmm. every day with meditation and then throughout I keep kind of stopping. Um, I want to say one thing on the failures. The the biggest failures I've had have been um, picking, because this just really popped into my head and I want to share it, picking business partners, um, people to launch a business with, or bringing somebody into a really key role because I felt that I wasn't good enough. You know, like, oh, I don't have an MBA, um, so I need to hire that in and give them a huge piece of my company, right? And then they hmm. didn't work out too well. I ended up doing their work. So that comes back to that call off the serve stuff. It comes back to that not getting still inside. So guys, this is really important. You know, yeah, you have the I mean, answers, but you have to get out, get in there and burrow. And if you can't get still, get out in nature because nature is really still, you know, right. and just walk in nature alone.
0: Yeah. And I, I love that idea, that concept. And truly we want to reach out to people who are smarter than we are and we wanna tap into the expertise on our networks and all of that. But the problem is if you're gonna full out partner with somebody Uh, they'll never have the passion that you have. And it's the passion that drives us to do what it is that we want to do. And I can see where that would be a recipe for disaster. You're, You're an expert in the area of applied neuroscience, of behavior, and you work with executives on understanding behavior. So let's talk about some basic human motivation here. Drop some knowledge in regards to what causes us to do the things we do, whether we're a, a salesperson in the sales environment, whether we're a consumer thinking about buying something or an employee uh, at, or an executive in the workplace. Let's, let's just get to just some, some a very high level thoughts on human motivation.
2: Yeah, sure. Okay, and and for starters, you know, when we do executive coaching, when we do workshops with our clients, you know, whether they're sales and marketing, leadership, culture, humans are humans. So let's first start there. It doesn't matter what their role is; they're a human being. So what happens? What's so interesting about humans is that all day long we are constantly flooded with sensory information, right? Visuals, things that we see, things that we hear, um, things that we feel, etc. So we've got all the sensory information flooding into our brain. It zooms into our uh, brainstem. It then very quickly causes us to feel a certain way. We see something. How do we feel? Uh, Maybe we see our boss with a scowly face and then we feel, "Uh uh-oh, you know, we feel kind of scared or uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then zoom, that information goes from your reptilian to your mammalian brain, where you then attach emotion to it, to then your prefrontal cortex, where you make meaning. For example, scowly boss, crunchy shoulders, feeling scared, feeling um, uncomfortable. The meaning you're making maybe is, oh, he's disappointed with me. Oh, I can never please him. Oh, I'm just going to keep my head down then and just do mediocre work and try not to shine because that is the best way to survive. So we're constantly making meaning. So it's very important for us to look at the meaning that we are making because that example I just gave you, the, the boss could have a stomach ache. The boss could have just got yelled at by their spouse. You know, the boss could be having a really bad day It had nothing to do with you. So step one, let's realize that all day long, we are meaning-making machines. So let's find out what people, what meaning people are making by simply asking a question. You know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? Because at the end of the day, beneath it all, we all are constantly craving safety, belonging, or mattering from all of our interactions. So as a salesperson, you've got to figure out by asking a series of questions, we'll go into those in a sec, what is that, what emotional experience is that person craving safety, belonging, or mattering from my interaction with him or her, and how am I going to give it to them? Because 90%, 90% of our decisions, of our behaviors are driven, are dominated by our emotional brain. So when people say, oh, emotions at work, that you know, that's silly. No. Emotions to a human are like wings to a bird. This is all in our our new book, Power Your Tribe. You know, without wings, a bird can't navigate navigate their world. Without emotions, a human can't experience the world. Emotions are feedback.
0: I just, this is so powerful and I, I just absolutely love it. We we actually, we had uh, Dr. Martin Lindstrom who wrote uh, uh, Biology, the Swedish researcher, and uh, he confirms what you just said. His statistic happened to be 85% in his studies, but you said 90% were right in there. But it's actually uh, uh, watching people make decisions while they're hooked up to a functional MRI and seeing yeah. what's going on in their brain during that process. But when you talk about this idea that we're constantly making meaning, we're meaning-making machines, I love it. uh, And then we go through this process where uh, it starts at the very base part of our brain, and then it expands into the the prefrontal cortex, and this is where we're going to apply uh, the logical meaning to it. But one of the things that I have always suggested here is that there's one of the mental shortcuts that customers will take with salespeople is that there's a link between how much I like you and how much I trust you. And Mm. that likability right there is so critical based on those first impressions, because just as if an employee sees a boss scowling, if we see a salesperson who looks a little less than pleasant, it Mm. triggers something in my brain. Here comes the meaning machine going into play Mm. erroneously because we Mm. were just not our best self. And now I'm going to have an uphill battle throughout that entire process.
2: Okay. So let's talk about rapport for a second. Thank you for yeah. bringing that up. So, so same as um, we need to have an experience with a salesperson that they are the same as us. This is way back in the creature neurology. This is the reptilian mammalian brain saying safe or not, dead or not, friend or mm-hmm. foe. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it is, this is why it's really important. To, and I know Tony Robbins taught this a long time ago. And I was one of his students back when I was, uh, gosh, 26 years ago, and Mm -hmm. um, it kind of freaked me out because it didn't feel like, you know, beautiful and authentic and heart-based, so I didn't do it. But I've learned now that, you know, we can do mirroring if the intention is, how can I give this person an experience of same as? How can I actually step onto their map of the world and try to feel what is it like to be them? The easiest way to try to feel what's it like to be them so you can come across energetically, so you can say the right stuff, is to actually mirror them. So, you know, they, they lean back on their chair, you lean back in your chair. I know it sounds trivial, but you got to try it. But you don't do it immediately. If they lean back, you don't, oh, let me hurry up and mirror you. Because then it's like, ooh, freaky. You you breathe, you know, take a couple of breaths and then gradually lean back. Look at their keywords. If they say, we got to go the extra mile, say, ah, and what would that look like to go the extra mile? You know, use their phrases back. And their creature neurology, their primal part of their brain, it will not be conscious, will start going, ah, oh, I can relax. They're like me. So body posture, gesture, vocal tone, pace, pitch. If they're speaking really fast, you just have to go for it. (laughs) You have to speak Mm -hmm. really fast. We had some salespeople in New York and they're like, wow, we just were really not doing well in the Southern region. And I'm like, well, I wonder why. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. the Southern customers were experiencing them as like kind of slick, kind of pushy, you know, and we had to train them to speak vocal tone, pace, pitch because it was telephone sales with the Southern, you know, with the Southern pace and the Southern um, uh, tone and the Southern pitch, they weren't faking Southern accents. That would be weird, Mm -hmm. but they just had to slow down.
0: Slow down, sure, yeah. Yeah,
2: and feel it. And then, of course, we can look at their sensory systems. If they keep saying, I don't see that, I can't see that, then we start going, ah, they process through visuals. We're going to show them some pictures. We're going to show them some diagrams. If they're like, I hear what what you're saying, ah, that doesn't quite resonate. Okay, they're more auditory. Then we'll talk about how does that sound? You know, if they're more, I can't quite get my arms around that. We can say, well, how, how does this feel? Does this feel right? You know, so really, really focusing on, wow, what's it like to be them? Because if you step fully into what it's like to be them as, as deeply as you can, you're going to say stuff that's going to resonate with them. But we have to remember to keep looking at, are they, what are they asking me for? Are they asking me for safety? And we'll go into some questions you can use in one sec. Or are they asking me for belonging? You know, what's do I understand their challenge? Have I felt their pain? Or are they asking me for mattering? You know, they want to look good. They want to make a good decision. They want to have status. So, are you ready for questions? The questions. Yeah, I let want me just let me let me okay, remind
0: yeah. people here mm-hmm. that we're talking yeah. with Christine commaford uh, She wrote the book Smart Tribes. You want to get connected into the Smart Tribes Institute. The website for that is workwithsti, Smart Tribes Institute, right? Workwithsti.com. We're going to put that in the show notes. And then a little bit later on, we're going to tell you about a special opportunity that you're going to have to be able to get some customized work just for what it is that you do. And Christine, you said in Smart Tribes, and you've talked about this a couple of times so far in the podcast, safety plus belonging plus mattering equals trust. So give us the background to that concept. And then that to lead us into some questions that we can be thinking about.
2: Okay, cool. So safety is uh, freedom from fear, certainty, knowing that somebody has your back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Belonging is fitting in, having equal status. Um, Feeling connected to others, mattering is if you're motivated by that. It's really um, making a difference. It's achievement. It's um, being recognized and appreciated for unique gifts. So when we start to look at what a person is asking for, if it's safety, we can say, Hey, you know what? We're in this together. Another great word to write down because together conveys deep, deep experience of safety and belonging and mattering right? Because you're together, you're in this Mm -hmm. together. So saying, hey, you know, um, together, we're going to figure this out. Here's the plan. How about the backup plan? Would you like another backup plan? You know, making sure that they know that you have their back, you're going to figure out how to adapt no matter what happens. If it's belonging, wow, you know, we've had so many clients that have had a similar experience to this. And when they have that experience, here's what they did, the, the companies that are similar to yours, and it worked great. I've been through this before um, together, we're going to navigate this project. Um, and then kind of, I, I see the contribution you guys are making. And then when it goes to mattering, wow, I really see you as a thought leader. Well, you know, thought leaders like you, people who kind of see way out into the future, like you, we find that they benefit from this, this, and this. So first we're kind of validating whatever their emotional experiences, and then we're helping them, um, see that, that we understand that and we're on the same page with them. But here's the thing many of us don't get people to a clear what we call desired state. Their present state, wherever they presently are is missing something. That's why they're talking to you as a salesperson. They're trying to get something. They're trying to get a new emotional experience in their present state. So let's call that the desired state where they want to go is the desired state. So we find that there are six questions that I hope you guys will ask on every sales call. I hope you guys will ask these for your kids to help them do their homework, for your spouse when they're upset. This helps people get out of that fight, flight, freeze state that we call critter state. Here are the Mm -hmm. questions. First, what would you like? something that they can create and maintain, not for Joe Blow to give me a million dollars, but what would you like? Well, for me to really do a great job with this project, for me to have more strategic time, for our systems to work more effectively, for our executives to be able to use their data more effectively, whatever. What would you like? What will having that do for you? How will you feel? What will the benefits get? Oh, well, you know, when our executives can really extract good decision making from the data that I provide, you know, I'll feel successful, they'll make better decisions, we'll be more profitable, the team will be happier, et cetera. Question number three, how will you know when you have that outcome? Ah, well, back to this whole, you know, decision-making software stuff. Well, um, when we have a system in place and everybody is trained up and um, we're getting reports timely and we're making better decisions and it takes two days to close the quarter instead of, you know, 20, Whatever. So we want to make sure that we have proof on how we're going to know when we have it because that's how we're going to be measured as to whether our project is successful. Number four, where, when, with whom would you like this? We need to understand their timing. I need this only in the operations department. I need this with Sally and George um, and I, I've got to have it within 90 days. What a value might you risk or lose? You know, to get this outcome, to get this transparency, this using our data more effectively, this strategic time, whatever outcome they wanted, What a value might they risk or lose? What side effects might occur if they get it? Wow, well, um, I'm gonna really have to put my neck out there. I'm gonna have to ask for more budget than I'd planned on. Um, I'm gonna have to engage and enroll a bunch of executives that I don't have that strong of a relationship with. So we have to get present to the risk. And then number six, what are your next steps? So we want to actually step onto their map of the world, understand the desires state, what they would like, what having that will do for them, how will they know when they have it, where, when, with whom do they wanna have this with, what the risks are, what side effects may occur, and then what their next steps are to get them into action. When we take somebody through these questions called an outcome frame, they're focusing on the outcome now. They're not focusing on the problem anymore. And if we take them through it and we spend about 15 minutes, some people can do it in 10. If we can go really deeply into it in 15 minutes, their brain will fire off the visual auditory kinesthetic cues, and they will start to believe that they can actually have it It takes them out of fantasy into a sense of having already begun.
0: You know, one of the things that I've been looking at recently is the emerging field of prospective psychology. How do we feel about our own future? And what you're these six questions, the way that I'm looking at it, that's what kept speaking to me as you were talking was that these questions cast people into their future where they can run a mental simulation of Mm -hmm. a new and bettered feature with that higher desired state and then to uh, end up at that point where I feel good about that because ultimately that's what's going to happen we're going to make our decisions based on how we feel the question is how do we make them feel good by envisioning this future and the clarity of those questions places them into their future in a very positive way I love it
2: Yeah. If we we are the person that helps them create their desired state, think about that as well. Jeff, you know, wow, whenever I meet with Jeff, I have like these really cool insights. It's -hmm. like meeting with Jeff helps me figure out where I want to go. Jeff is my buddy then to make it happen. It's Mm -hmm. great for your brand, you know, as a salesperson to be the person who helps them tap into their amazing vision and helps make it happen as well.
0: Uh, We're—I forgot—we're starting to run up against the clock, but uh, yeah. I want to take this in a different direction to mm-hmm. just to oh. pick your brain on one thing here. Uh, look, I am burdened with this strong sense of desire to see people fulfill their potential. It drives me crazy when I see talented people coming up short. Uh, mm-hmm. As you've been an expert on be, on human behavior here, what do you think it is that that causes people to oftentimes aim so much lower than their potential?
2: It's a big question, Jeff.
0: I know it is. I know it is.
2: (laughs) Okay. For starters, and let's tie this back to the stuff we've been talking about. Um, Whenever anybody wants anything, please use an outcome frame. You can do an outcome frame alone. Hey, seriously, what would I like? What will having that do for me? How will I feel? You know? What will the benefits be? Because I want people to get really honest with themselves. And if they do an outcome frame for 15 minutes, set your iPhone for 15 minutes, you don't get to stop until you're done. You might Mm -hmm. go through each question three, four, five times, but you've got to create a desired state. My experience, Jeff, people don't build a strong enough desired state. If your Mm -hmm. brain is firing off visual, auditory, kinesthetic cues, and there you are walking through that glorious future. And then when it feels really good, you're actually anchoring it you know, in your body, and I think we need to to provide an anchoring uh, infographic to everybody. We're going to have some resources on uh, Jeff's website, guys. Um, then you can recall that state on the bad days and you won't chicken out. Also, get really honest with why you want that. Will that, will whatever that future is, bring you deeper safety, deeper belonging, or deeper mattering? Because mm-hmm. if it's not connected to what you really want, you're not gonna go for it. In our in our new book Power Your Tribe, and there are a bunch of resources on poweryourtribe.com, you can it will it will help you actually create a rich desired state and it will help you unpack where you slide into selling yourself short. But I think most people actually walk through the world not knowing what they're asking for, not okay. knowing what they truly want. That's why they don't get it. The outcome frame helps you get really clear on exactly what you want and the risks. Remember question number five, um, what a value might you risk or lose? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reason you don't have it. Well, I might have to um, work nights and weekends, you know, to write my book. You know, oh, well, hmm, I'm not willing to do that. Well, that's why I haven't read my book. So the what a value might you risk or lose question tells you why you don't have that outcome yet. So get in there. That's
0: the ego question. You know, I love I love this whole concept of of visualizing the desired state, because for me, when I do that, it takes me out of where I am today. If I'm Mm -hmm. only thinking, well, where do I want to be and how do I get there? And I just quickly try to jump to that. All I see is obstacles. But if I Mm -hmm. start by seeing my own desired state, uh, then I get so comfortable. I normalize the extraordinary of the future. I get so comfortable in that that then I just ask myself the question, oh, well, how did I get here? Right. I, I, I ask the question as if I'm already at my desired state and it makes it so much easier. The obstacles don't seem nearly so difficult if you already believe that you're there. But I think that that lack of of uh, sitting down and picturing right now, I'm looking at the whiteboard in my office and, you know, I, I've got right up there. It says. Uh, 2022. So this is a, a part of the long range plan here, but I've got this conference that I want to put on uh, a, a huge ballroom full of people who want to work on nothing but their comfort addictions. What are the things mm. that they are addicted to in, the, in in being comfortable in their own life? And I want to just hack up their life. Now, what exactly is that going to look like? Well, I don't know yet. How am I going to get there? Not sure yet. All I'm trying to do is get into the desired state of what it's going to be like to have that kind of impact, normalize the extraordinary and then work backwards into it and I think you and I are birds of a feather on that one.
2: And and what you just said is super important. So there you are standing in the future, yes, in the desired state looking back and that's a great place to answer question number 6 from, what are your next steps, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, maybe it's going to take whatever, you know, two years worth of a series of steps. Well, in one, the first quarter, I'm going to do this. The second quarter, I'm going to do that, you know. And you can only sometimes see so far. You can drive from San Francisco to New York by just seeing in front of your headlights if you're driving at night, right? You can't see all the way to New York, you know. But if you're on the right, if you've mapped out the route, you're just seeing as far as the headlights shine. But you're going to get there.
0: Yeah, right. Absolutely. All right. We're just about out of time, but we're going to put you on the hot seat, Christine. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, rapid fire questions, rapid fire answers. You ready? Woo, ready. Here we go. Your very first job was what?
2: Uh, selling uh, pastries at Mayor's Bakery.
0: Love it. Uh, an album from your youth that you listen to over and over again.
2: Um, uh, my favorite song. And I don't. Oh, it's Aksong Baby um, uh, by U2 uh, uh, Mysterious Ways.
0: Yep. Love it. Uh, the most beautiful place you've ever stood.
2: Oh my God. That's really hard. You know what? I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say on the beach um, at sunset um, in Maui.
0: Love it. I'll be there next week. Uh, a book that you read early in life that made a profound impact on your thinking.
2: Oh, 15 years old. Grist for the mill by Ram Das.
0: Uh Aha. A movie you've seen multiple times, but when it comes on, you just have to watch it.
2: (laughs) Pretty woman. Pretty woman. Love
0: it. Love it. So many great
2: things in there.
0: Sure, sure, sure. And finally, uh, your first celebrity crush.
2: Oh, boy. I think it was Keanu Reeves. (laughs) which version, um, which version of
0: Keanu Reeves? (laughs) You know what? It
2: was, and then I got to fly with, with him weirdly. Uh He was in front of me in first class going from Paris to LA. Um, It was right after his movie about the Buddha. A uh, Little Buddha, whatever it was called.
0: Oh, yeah. And yeah, we drank yeah, red yeah.
2: wine and chatted, yeah. and it was like 16 hours of admiring Keanu Reeves. It was pretty great, you know?
0: <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> all right, you're off the hot seat. Uh, Christine Comerford, uh, go to listen, we're gonna put all this. We have a lot of stuff to put in the show notes here, but you're gonna want to go to work with STI, that stands for Smart Tribes Institute, work with STI.com. Then what's gonna happen is it's gonna ask you a question: what are you most interested in? where do you want this to go so it's not just like hey just good luck finding what you want no it's going to ask you what are you most interested in and then it's going to get you're going to get lessons on how to work with neuroscience in the area that you are most interested in, that's really, really cool. Because as we said earlier, it's not just about sales; it's about uh, it's about the experience. It's about everything that goes on in that customer's mind. So a really valuable opportunity there. Read the book Smart Drives. It's absolutely uh, amazing, and just you're gonna want to follow uh, Christine. Just a- a- as you've have just heard in our last half hour together, uh, just nonstop energy and a whole lot of uh, nuggets of wisdom right there, Christine. Thank you so so much for being on The Buyer's Mind.
2: Thank you, Jeff.
0: All right, Murph. Well, there you have it. You know, we get a lot of great guests on and, uh, man, some of them you just you just get on your horse and start riding, right?
1: You know, I, I think she needs to drink a little more coffee. Uh, a little more energy <laughs> might be uh, required here.
0: Yeah, that's right. But you know, the thing about people like Christine is, is that uh, she clearly said that she knows how to uh, uh, be still, right? She was a Buddhist monk for seven years, for crying out loud. Uh, but you also just sort of get that sense that uh, uh, that she wants to, she wants to be fully engaged in whatever it is that she is doing, right? She's clearly fully engaged in her study. She's fully engaged in her business, but she's also fully engaged just in being still. I I respect that. I really do. I think it's a a great way to be able to uh, uh, look at that. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's one of those things for sales professionals where where we run and run and run. When are we ever still, right? Now, we didn't see the stillness side of Christine because it's personal to her. But Murph, you know, you and I have been friends for a while uh, in just in regards to our Christian faith. The idea of be still is not a suggestion in scripture. It's a command in scripture. And uh, and, and as I mentioned, just about every uh, uh, prominent religion, there's that idea of being still. So it's almost a, a little bit of uh paradox here. You have to be still in order to be excited. I think I I didn't ask Christine that, but I think that's what she would have said.
1: Well, and it's interesting uh, just to you know, take it back to Dr. Martin Lindstrom. You know, one of the things he talked about uh, in the podcast that we had with him was we we don't spend time being bored. You know, we yeah, don't take right. that time to be quiet and let our thoughts actually function, because if we if we would, uh, we might actually come up with some better ideas. We might think clearer. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of the ideas of meditation and being still come from.
0: Yeah, Cal Newport, uh, when we had him on talking about deep work, was the exact same thing. We have to embrace boredom. Uh, boy, there's just so many gems that uh, Christine dropped in here in this conversation. I loved, I, I, I could be here all day, but uh, I love the idea of um, the same as, right? When we were talking about the idea where customers are going to look at salespeople and they're essentially going to ask that question, are you friend or foe? right? That's at the very base level of the way that our brain works. We will size people up and we will try and determine, are you the same as me? And the way that she framed that to be able to look at it and say, how can I step onto their map of the world? Murph, I just get the sense that we would all be better off if we were more willing to step onto other people's maps rather than try to drag them onto our map.
1: Well, and her example of New Yorkers talking to people in the South was uh, was perfect, you know, in the sense mm-hmm. that uh, you know New Yorkers are fast talkers, and uh, you know they want to get to the point, and they want to you know just hammer it home. And meanwhile, in the South, not you know stereotyping a bit maybe, but it's that idea of uh, you know they're a little more laid back, um, and so mm-hmm. if you talk a little bit slower, you know you're at least relating to your audience.
0: Uh, To me, one of the key things that uh, we we could look at from the conversation was the idea of the outcome framing that Christine talked about. And if you're a sales professional, this is something that's really worth your time to evaluate, to look at, to look at uh, 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 what Christine had to say and the questions that we need to ask in order to frame that outcome. But the idea here is, how do I use that outcome frame? Now, I can look at that in two different ways. How do I help my customer to step into their own future? That's what a customer wants to do, and that is the single highest value that a salesperson brings. They bring a customer into their own future. They get them to think, they get that customer to think, Positively, with a strong emotional connection to their own future. And that clarity of how they feel in their future is absolutely critical uh, to the decision that they're going to make. But I would also say, as Christine and I were talking about at the end there, how do you do that for you? How do you use that outcome frame for your future? How do you look at what the best? that we have to offer might look like? How do you how do you evaluate that? How do you do an outcome frame on yourself? And so often we look at it and we say, oh no, if I want to do something, I'd have to do this and this and this. And what do we do? We look at the obstacles first. Big mistake. Look at the outcome first. You can do that for your clients, you can do it for you, and by the time you're done, you're going to have a whole new way to be able to look at the world. At that point, you get to change their world and you get to change yours at the same time. We'll talk to you next time on The Buyer's Mind.